church, I am Ethan Jones. I'm the kids pastor here at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Yes. And just let me tell you, I have an awesome family. I have a fantastic, wonderful, amazing wife. And uh, we have three kids. And one of our greatest joys is watching our kids grow up. And right now, our youngest, uh, Benai, he's really into like peekaboo. And I, I think I got a little video for you about that. There he is. <laughs> Where's that Benaiah boy? Where is, ah, there he is. <laughs> Good job. Where's the Benaya? Where's that Benaya? Where is he? Where'd he go? Ah, oh, there he is. <laughs> I mean, he totally believes it, right? From uh, his perspective, when he covers his eyes, like he's disappeared, he's not there anymore. And uh, it's cute, it's funny, it's a real bonding experience. And I, I love that. But that game exists because my son right now uh, can't think or perceive outside of his own perspective. Again, when he closes his eyes, we're gone, he's gone, he's lost, but he opens his eyes and then daddy gets to be there. One day that game's gonna go away and it should go away because I want my son to grow up and learn to think outside of his perspective. But sadly, as I get older and I look at our culture and I look at academia, I see this this personal uh, perspective is just taught everywhere. Yes, we still talk about objective reality when it comes to math, when it comes to science, but when it comes to philosophy or religion courses, it's this relativism that is king. And kids, they go to school and they get indoctrinated that their beliefs is going to change objective reality. And that's antithetical to Christianity. So today, tonight I should say, we're gonna talk about apologetics. And when I say apologetics, I mean a defense for the faith. So I'm gonna be up here, I'm gonna be talking a lot about uh, different ideas that are pervasive in our culture, and I want to defend Christianity against that. So hey, if you're here, and you don't know if you're so uh, sold out for this whole Jesus thing, then I want you guys, come on, pay attention, keep up with me, look at the slides, take pictures if you want to, afterwards have a discussion. I wanna give you a defense, a reason why I think you should honor Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you're a Christian, if you're a blood-bought, born-again believer, well then, hey, I bet you're gonna interact with people who aren't. And so I think you also could benefit from us talking about a defense of the faith. But before we get going, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, you are Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end, and we are so thankful for this world, for this creation that screams, you are God. And we're thankful for your word that specifically and specially reveals you and your son, Jesus Christ. And tonight, as we talk about it, God, I pray that you would allow me to speak clearly and concisely I pray that for the listeners, we would open up our hearts to what you want us to receive tonight. God, I ask these things in the power and the purpose in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, on your screens, you will see 1 Peter 
3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. So tonight, for the defense that I'm going to make, uh, I have four big questions. And those four big questions are, does truth exist? Does God exist? Do miracles exist? And is the New Testament reliable? And if you answer yes to all four of those questions, well then Christianity must be true and anything uh, that is antithetical to Christianity or says something against Christianity must therefore be false. Now I'm talking about true and false, right? So since I'm already talking about true and false, we might as well get into the first one, which is does truth exist? Yes. Now to get there, because uh, it's not going to be just that simple, right? And doesn't say yes. Um, I need to prove it. Okay. So let's think about this. Uh, many, 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 many years ago, we had great thinkers who realized that the universe uh, operates by a set of rules, and they discovered rules of logic. And one of these rules is the law of non-contradiction. Now that's fancy talk. Let me kind of say what that means. The law of non-contradiction basically says that opposites can't both be true at the same time and in the same sense. You cannot eat a cookie and not eat a cookie at the same time in the same sense, right? You guys tracking with me? That just, that wouldn't make sense. That's again, the law of non-contradiction. Now, not everybody believes in the law of non-contradiction. Actually, a lot of Eastern religions do not. And there was a uh, Muslim philosopher that said, what we should do with those people is beat them, burn them, and scourge them until they decide that to be beaten, to be burnt, to be scourged is not the same as to not be beaten, to be burned, to be scourged. And that's violent. We don't do that here at Calvary, but uh, there are many ideals that do violate the law of non-contradiction. You might be violate the law of non, what, what do you mean by that? Okay, let me just give a real quick example. If I looked at you right now and I said, I can't speak a word of English, you'd be, what? That guy's weird. He just told me that in English. So he must speak English, which means what he said must be false, not true. If something violates the law of non-contradiction, it cannot be true. And actually, we have a lot of these in our culture, in our academia, on TV, you see it all the time. One of those you will see is this. There is no truth. Okay, so earlier, I just turned that claim on itself. That's what I'm gonna do right now. Does the statement, there is no truth, true? If it was true, then that would be a truth, but it said that there is no truth, so that can't be true. Do you see how it kind of defeats itself? It doesn't pass its own test. But that's not the only thing that you see in our culture. There's plenty more. I got some right up here right now. And right, uh, we have a statement uh, that would be, there is no truth. And then here's kind of the question you can ask to say, does it pass its own test? So right here, there is no truth. Is that statement true? You'll hear this a lot, all truth is relative. Well, is that statement relative truth or is that true for everyone? There are no absolutes. 
Well, is that statement absolutely true? You can't know anything for sure. How do you know that for sure? It's true for you, but not for me. Is that statement true for just you, or is that statement true for everyone? There is no truth in anything but science. Uh, is that scientifically true? Answer is no, that's a philosophical statement. You, you can't disprove that with science. You should doubt everything. O okay, so should I doubt that statement? And then finally, uh, you ought not judge. Well, why are you judging me for judging you? I mean, just kind of implodes on ourselves. So real quick recap, does truth exist? Yes, it does, because any statement to the opposite defeats itself, and because of our law of non-contradiction. Next big question, does God exist? Well, there's tons and tons of proofs that God exists. I'm just gonna go with one tonight. It's called the cosmological argument. Uh, cosmology, you know, that's the study of the universe, the cosmos, and generally, it's the beginning. Is what they talk about, the Big Bang Theory. And so right now, pause, I gotta need to hit brakes right there because I'm sure uh, a lot of you are probably thinking right now, hey, Ethan, wait a minute, I, are we as Christians supposed to believe in the Big Bang Theory? That's not really my point. Um, that my point isn't should you or should you not. Basically, all over our culture, it's taught, the Big Bang Theory, that the universe had a beginning, and we as Christians, we agree with that, right? The universe had a beginning. So let's just roll with it. They would say, if you go back far enough in time, there's no matter, there's no space, there's no time, and then out of nothing, the universe expanded. Now, this is a problem. It's a problem for atheists because if there's no matter, no space, no time, what created the universe? Something had to create the universe because the universe had a beginning. Everything that has a beginning has been created. All right, well, um, some people would say, well, maybe the universe created itself. That, that doesn't make sense. Actually, Stephen Hawkins, right, super smart guy. Uh, he had a uh, mini-series, it was called Into the Universe, and the second episode was all about time travel, and uh, he goes through all these proofs, and he comes up with this final uh, big statement that I think we could all get behind, and it is this. Again, PhD scientist here. Causes always happen before their effects, never the other way around. And I know you might need a PhD to understand that, but I'm telling you, it's the truth, okay? He proved it. There's no getting around it. So then we've gotta have a cause for the universe. The universe can't cause itself. It can't go back in time and do that. I mean, that would be like me going back in time and becoming my own father. Again, doesn't make sense. But whatever caused the universe must be spaceless, must be timeless, and must be immaterial. And we as Christians... We call that being God. Quick side note, because it's a question I hear all the time. I hear it from kids, I hear it from adults, all the time. Well, uh, if God created the universe, who created God, right? You heard the question before. Well, here's my answer. If God is spaceless, timeless, and immaterial, timeless. If you are timeless, do you have a beginning? No, 
And plus, there has to be something, right? There has to be something that causes everything else that was not caused itself. Can't be the universe. It had a beginning. So again, I postulate it has to be God. Question number three, do miracles exist? Well, if miracles don't exist, then the Bible cannot be true. Miracles are found all over through the scriptures. Uh, but I would say, yes, miracles exist. And I got a, a pretty good evidence they do. We live in the universe. And as I just covered, God made the universe out of nothing. Aristotle actually had a funny uh, way of putting nothing. He's like, I wanna define nothing. What is nothing? Nothing is what rocks dream about. Yeah. So out of rock dreams, God created everything. And if you think a being has that kind of power, that kind of creativity, that kind of knowledge, then uh, talking to a guy through a burning bush that isn't consumed, or keeping a guy alive in a fish for three days, or uh, multiplying bread and fish to feed 5,000 men, or raising a, get, a guy uh, from, the death, from dead uh, three days later, that's pretty easy, right? If you can make the universe out of nothing, it's at least plausible. But I would add more level to that. I would say it's not just plausible, it is probable. And here's why. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 11, two through six. All right, now when John heard in prison, by the way, John here is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in prison. About the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, look around. Look at the miracles. If I was just a man, I couldn't do all of those things. See, miracles, what they do is they authenticate. They authenticate that the messenger and the message is from God. So if God does want to communicate with people and doesn't want a lot of forgeries, he needs to do things only he can do. Miracles. So do miracles exist? Absolutely. They're at least plausible. I would even go so far as to say probable if God wants to have a relationship with humanity. Now, before I get into that last big fourth question, I gotta kinda do a little bit more side stuff. So there's hundreds of religions in the world, right? Absolutely hundreds. But they all break down into three main categories. You either have atheism, you either have theism, or you have pantheism. And over here, let's see, theism. What does theism say? It says there is a God and he created the universe, but he is not the universe. Pantheism, God, is the universe, and so like we as humans, we would also all be gods too. Atheism, the universe exists, but no one created it. So now based off of the logic and the science that I've gone through tonight, 
it would seem that theism is the only one that makes sense, right? That means that atheists, agnostics, Buddhists, Mormons, New Age and positive thought thinkers, Hindus, they're all just honestly wrong when it comes to the character and the attributes of God. So then you might be wondering, well, which religion is right? It has to be a theistic religion, one that comes from theism. And there's only three major theism uh, religions in the world, and that's Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Now, these religions, they agree on some things, they disagree on a lot of things, but there's one thing in specific that they bitterly disagree on, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christianity will tell you Jesus lived, he died on the cross, and he rose uh, from the dead three days later. Islam will tell you Jesus lived, didn't get killed by the Jews, and later ascended into heaven. And Judaism will tell you that Jesus lived, died on the cross, and his disciples stole the body. So which one is right? It would be logical to think, okay, uh, probably one of those three is right. Whichever is right is the religion that I should follow, is the one that I should put my faith and trust into. So where do we see the story of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion? The New Testament, which is why it's our fourth question. Uh, is the New Testament reliable? Okay, I know I'm asking a bunch of questions tonight, but I got two more. To see if the New Testament is reliable, we have to ask ourselves two questions. One, do we have accurate copies of the New Testament? And then, if we do have accurate copies of the New Testament, do the New Testament documents tell the truth? Let's start with that first question. Do we have an accurate copy of the New Testament documents? And the real quick answer is yes. Yes, we do. We have thousands of copies, thousands of copies of the New Testament. Now, we don't have any originals. And that might bug some people. What, we don't have any of the originals? Let me kind of put that into perspective. If you're gonna criticize Christianity for that, you also have to criticize history, okay? Let's take Abraham Lincoln, right? Uh, Gettysburg Address, four score and seven years ago. I don't know why he sounded British. Should not have been British. Anyway, um, right, the Gettysburg Address. You know, we don't have any original copies. We have five copies that were written shortly after, but none of them were the original that Abraham Lincoln actually read from. I would doubt that anyone in this room would think, well, since we don't have the originals, Abraham Lincoln, I don't know about him. The Gettysburg Address, probably not. And then what, what they say that we have, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, think about it. All the copies that are in all the textbooks that all the kids have to read about the Gettysburg Address, they're copies of copies, and that's okay. Again, if you're gonna be hypercritical of Christianity, you have to be hypercritical of history, and I don't think we're willing to go there. I think the, the average person would say, okay, this is reasonable, because we don't have five copies, we have thousands of copies. Now, I will admit, they do not all say exactly the same thing. Most of them say about 99.9% .9 of the same, and I'm gonna show you an example. Okay, we're gonna look here at Mark 9, 29. 
So what's happening is the disciples have tried to get an unclean spirit out of a boy. They couldn't do it, and so they asked Jesus why. And this is Jesus' response. This kind of unclean spirit cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, some manuscripts, some of our copies that we have, add the words, and fasting. That's it. I mean, I think if we're talking big picture, is the Bible true or is the Bible not? Stuff like and fasting or maybe having a different Greek word in the spot isn't a big deal. They are exactly the same when it comes to 100% the big theological issues. Actually, all theological issues. They are 100% the same. And since, again, even the little stuff, yes, there are some uh, minor differences, big picture, we can say with great, great confidence, yes, we have accurate copies of the New Testament. But you could have accurate copies of a lie, right? So is the New Testament real? Are they telling the truth? Well, I think yes. I have three reasons, really quick. One, because it was written down early. Two, because it tells embarrassing stories about the writers of it. And three, uh, all those writers go to their deaths proclaiming that it is real. Let's start with the first one, early testimony. Some people like to say this whole Jesus thing, it's just a legend. It, over time, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. He's not really God. You know, that's the, the line that they will give you. But here's the deal. We've studied legends before. We've studied King Arthur, Hercules, Robin Hood. We see how over time these things change. And here's the rule. It takes two generations after the actual fact before legend starts to creep into your stories. That's not enough time. I'll give you a real quick proof. Jesus dies right here uh, in the 30 ADs. Not 100% sure on the exact date, but in the 30 ADs. Paul, we know, dies in 65 AD. Again, crazy speculation here, but I'm pretty sure Paul wrote all of his letters before he died. So, in 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul quotes the book of Luke, which means the book of Luke was written down and started making copies and started making its way all around the Mediterranean for Paul to then quote it. We're talking not even 30 years. That's not even close to enough time for legend to creep in. It's early testimony, one reason why we think it's true. Number two, embarrassing stories, okay? Here's a principle that historians use, and that is if your story is embarrassing about you, it's probably true, because Generally, we lie to make ourselves look good. We don't lie to make ourselves look bad. All right, quick experiment. Here's what I want you to do. If you've ever lied to make yourself look good, raise your hand. Yeah, do it. I, I feel you. I'm right here. I got my hand up. For those of you without your hand up, you're lying to make yourself look good. <laughs> Just saying. All right, the New Testament writers, when they depict themselves, uh, they depict themselves as being dumb. They don't understand what Jesus is saying. He has to say stuff multiple times. They don't understand uh, his mission until later on when he ascends. They're uncaring. I mean, they fall asleep on him twice. 
before Judas betrays him, and then they don't do anything with Jesus' body, right? Who gives Jesus a proper burial? Oh yeah, Joseph of Arimathea. Who's that guy? He's on the Sanhedrin, the people that gave Jesus over to be crucified. So if you're making this up, if you're wanting to sell this to people, why would you make yourself look bad, look like a coward, and make the bad guy one of the good guys? That wouldn't make sense. You wouldn't make that up. Another example, Mark 8.33. Peter gets called Satan by Jesus. Okay, track with me a little bit here. Mark wrote the book of Mark. Not a trick question. Mark was Peter's disciple. I mean, do you think they were just sitting around chatting one day and Mark was like, hey, Pete, we gotta spice this story up, all right? I think the Lord should call you Satan. I mean, again, if you're making this up, what would Peter say? He'd be like, uh, no, I'm the leader. I gotta be right. I'm the head of this new religion. I gotta look good all the time. It wouldn't make sense. There wouldn't be stuff in the Bible like this if it wasn't true. Let's also be honest. Look, as you read the New Testament, the disciples are cowards. Peter denies Jesus three times. All of them scatter. Who hangs out for the crucifixion? The women. Oh, who goes to the tomb three days later to see that Jesus really is alive? The women. The New Testament was written by men. What man is gonna say that? I mean, not just our culture, but back then in ancient culture, women's testimony and law, it's down here. Men's testimony is up here. So if you're trying to convince people that this is right, that this is true, that this is real, you're not gonna say, I know it's true because the women told me. (laughs) That's just not going to be your line. Not only do disciples look bad, sometimes it kind of paints Jesus in a bad light or could be perceived as a bad light. After Jesus has resurrected from the dead and he's spent time with the disciples and he takes them to the mountain and he's about to ascend up to heaven, this is what it says in Matthew 28, 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. But some doubt, what? They see a resurrected Jesus and they're still like, I don't know if that's him. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Again, if you're making this up, wouldn't that kind of make your protagonist look bad? He raises from the dead, comes back three days later, talks to people, and he still can't convince people to follow him. You wouldn't make these things up to try to sell it. The only logical conclusion is that these things actually happened. Last one, number three, excruciating deaths. What did the New Testament writers get for uh, starting this whole new religion? Uh, Well, they got beaten, tortured, and killed. (laughs) Not a list of perks. Not only that, uh, they got kicked out of the synagogues and they got ostracized by their society. All 12 of the disciples are murdered for their faith except for maybe John. Why would these people go to their deaths for a lie. Now, I gotta hit the pause button because I know what comes back at that. As people think, okay, wait a minute, dying for your religion, if that makes your religion true, then does that mean Islamic extremists are right? I mean, we all remember September 11th. 
Well, here's the difference between an Islamic extremist today and the disciples then, is that the Islamic extremists today have faith that when they die, when they kill themselves in that way, that they will go to heaven. But our New Testament writers would have zero faith. It either happened or they didn't. They either interacted with Jesus or they did not. See, people will die for a lie that they think is true, but no one is going to die for a lie they know is a lie. These disciples were in a position to know, and yet every single one of them goes to their death gladly proclaiming that Jesus said that he is God, that he died on a cross for the sins of the world, and then he rose on the third day victorious over sin and death. You can't get any better testimony unless you were there yourself. You see, the New Testament writers did not make the resurrection. The resurrection made the New Testament writers. Why else would they change? We've already covered it. They're sissy pants men. But when Jesus goes up to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down, they boldly go to their deaths proclaiming the gospel. You wouldn't do that if you knew it was a lie. So to wrap it all up, back to my four questions. Does truth exist? Yes. Does God exist? Yes. Do miracles exist? Yes. Is the New Testament reliable? Yes. Why do I believe in God? Why do I believe in the Bible? Well, because it's the best way to explain the world and why it is the way that it is. The question can be asked, what does that mean to me personally? Well, here's what the Bible teaches. Um, You get to be in relationship with God and be with him forever. You just have to do one thing, and that's be perfect. Yeah, that's actually the bad news. Bad news is I'm not perfect. Bad news is you're not perfect. The bad news is no one's getting off this planet with a perfect scorecard. But God loves us so much and he wants a relationship with us. He sent his son Jesus, 100% God and 100% man, to live a perfect life, a life that I couldn't live, a life that you couldn't live, And the greatest injustice that ever happened is the perfect man that should have nothing done bad to him dies on a cross, not for his sins, because he doesn't have any, but for mine and for yours. 